This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Chelsea and Liverpool meet once again in a cup final this season. It's the FA Cup final as Chelsea and Liverpool face each other. we got Premier League content as well as Serie A as AC Milan closes in with La Liga conversations, Bundesliga and much more. Jonathan Johnson is in the house. Que golazo. Weekend preview begins right now. Everybody, welcome to Kegolazo CBS Sports. Uh, Kegolazo Pod on Twitter, YouTube.com forward slash Kegolazo. Jonathan Johnson, you know, we were joking uh, before taping Jonathan Johnson. CBS Sports are going to rue the day, my friend, when they just put me and you in a weekend preview because you know what? I got carte blanche. Uh, Des, Des Norris is away at a wedding. We got Lisa Roman. She doesn't care what we do. We could just do an Aston Villa show right now. I think we should. I mean, it's worked out pretty well in the past when we've done that. So uh, I'm all for hijacking this one again. <laughs> and if we get fired, we get fired. Uh, we'll tell our loved ones that we'll find another job somewhere else. Uh, we're just kidding, everybody. Maybe we'll mention a little bit, Villa, but it's mainly about the FA Cup final, Premier League, the rest of Europe, and much, much more. Welcome to Kego Lasso, everybody. John underscore Le Gossip, LMH Garay. We are here to discuss everything going on this weekend. And we begin, of course, in the FA Cup final as Chelsea and Liverpool face each other once again. For only the second time, the same two sides, Chelsea and Liverpool in this context, uh, will meet each other in a final because they faced each other in the League Cup final. That was a Liverpool win. And now Chelsea and Liverpool face each other once uh, again. All right, Jonathan Johnson, talk to me about this final. What do you think? The quadruple dream is over or do we see more hardware for Jurgen Klopp? Todd Bowley can celebrate. What do you expect? Yeah, it's really interesting coming into this one, uh, especially given the way, uh, you know, the, the dynamic in that title race between City and Liverpool at this moment in time, because I was I was kind of expecting uh, City to have a tougher time against Wolves than they actually had. I mean, obviously, when Kevin De Bruyne can, you know, chip in with four goals for you at a time, that's always going to be extremely useful, especially, you know, in the business end of a, a title push. But I think City really needed their last couple of results after bombing out of the Champions League. And for Liverpool, since, uh, you know, they reached the final, it's been a question of just you know pressing on you know getting the the next positive result which obviously they did unfortunately to the detriment of Villa midweek impressive from Liverpool in many ways because of the rotation uh, you know Klopp you know did risk uh, a fair bit uh, you know he put a lot of pressure on the likes of Sadio Mane who obviously came up big provided the winning goal there Fabinho getting injured obviously that's not ideal at this uh, at this point in the season but for the moment you know Liverpool still have that momentum they can still dream that City are going to drop those points I still think it's too much now the gap uh, in the Premier League so no I don't think uh, you know the quadruple is really on but you know could I see them getting uh, the, the treble still yeah absolutely uh, and I'd favour them uh, going into this game because because I, you know, I think the the momentum is still with them with the results that they're grinding out. Chelsea, 
yes, they will be motivated for this one. You know, obviously they've got the new ownership coming in, as you mentioned, and also this is the possibility for them to play for silverware where they're still trying to fight to ensure that they finish in the Champions League because they are still glancing nervously over their shoulders despite that good win in midweek. Uh, so, you know, for me, I think I'd, I'd have Liverpool pegged as, uh, as slight favourites. But obviously, as you mentioned, this is the second time we've seen them in a domestic cup final matchup this season. Uh, so obviously there'll be a sense of revenge in the air as well, I think. I believe the League Cup final went to penalties. Is that right? Is that how far it went to? So I think that this FA Cup final could go that far. Uh, Jurgen Klopp and Thomas Tuchel, German managers, were very, obviously, not just good man managers, but also very organized. So they, it's kind of like a chess game, right? Thomas Tuchel sees uh, what Jurgen Klopp has and, and vice versa. By the way, this is the first side, Chelsea, to qualify for three consecutive FA Cup finals. Uh, since Arsenal between 2000 and 2001. So you have to commend them for that. But Liverpool, to your point, are still going for major trophies. I agree with you. I think Man City have the league done and dusted. So it's really up for the Champions League final and this game itself. Where do you see, you mentioned Fabinho's injury. That's big. That's big uh, in this game, I think, because in order to you know, control this game against Chelsea, you got to really lead in the middle. Where do you see the issues if there were some for Liverpool from an individual matchup perspective against Chelsea? I mean, given that there's going to be some rotation in attack, you know, you're going to have guys like Salah coming back in. That You know, there's obviously a concern as well, uh, you know, given how tight Chelsea's back line can be, uh, you know, on its day, uh, you know, players uh, wrapped in cotton wool in midweek to make sure that they're fit for this game. Uh, you know, and somebody like Salah, you know, he's not on the hottest goal scoring streak of his career at this moment in time. Mm. Fantastic player as he is. Uh, you know, and then you've got Mane, who's kind of being run into the ground. Also, you know, as brilliant as he is. I mean, Liverpool, they they have an embarrassment of riches in attack. Uh, you know, as we saw, you know, that depth was enough to get past, um, you know, a, a solid league opponent like Villa. But, uh, you know, I also, uh, you know, I, I do kind of wonder if they're going to run out of gas a little bit at some point, uh, you know, in the in the domestic season. I think, you know, having to rejig your midfield potentially uh, at this stage in the season is never ideal, especially when you're looking at some of the other players. I mean, of all the, the players to lose in that midfield, and I know that he's not been in the best form, uh, you know, recently, but he's still a solid performer. Fabinho is the youngest of those uh, regular midfielders as well. You know, Thiago uh, and, uh, and Henderson, they're both 30 plus. And those are the kind of guys that you'd expect more to pick up the injuries than somebody like Fabinho. Fabinho is kind of like the glue that holds that midfield unit together. So I think that it is a possibility, uh, you know, that Chelsea can can perhaps overrun them, uh, you know, in the middle of the park. Uh, and I think as well, when you look at the, the you know, the, the quality that, that Chelsea still possess, you've got Lukaku coming back into goal scoring form as well. There are there are dangers all over the pitch, uh, potentially for, for Liverpool. But these are two very evenly matched sides. You know, as you pointed out earlier, it went all the way in the last cup final. Uh, you know, these are two coaches who know each other extremely well. They know their strong points. They know their weaknesses. So, you know, I expect this to be another, uh, like you said, you know, really like a, a chess game unfolding, uh, you know, but for me, I think midfield definitely has the potential to take on greater importance, uh, you know, given what happened midweek for Liverpool. Yeah, you know, it's interesting as you were talking as well, just going still with that narrative of a chess game, the last three games, right? So Liverpool, when they hosted Chelsea in August, that was one all. Then when Chelsea hosted Liverpool in January, that was 2-0. And then the League Cup final was 0-0. And obviously it went to penalties. This is very tight for both sides. You mentioned Fabinho in the midfield. 
issues for Liverpool, and we'll see what happens there. But Kovacic also being a victim of that, you know, uh, awful foul from from Dan James uh, midweek as well. Uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek had to replace him, so they got their own issues. All right, so let's go with a, a prediction that you you keep leaning towards Liverpool. Do you think it goes to extra time penalties? Do you think this is a commanding victory for Liverpool? What what do you think? No, I definitely don't expect it to be a commanding vic- uh, victory for for Liverpool. You know, I think that Chelsea, like I said, Chelsea are going to be hugely motivated for the, this potentially final piece of silverware of the mm. season. Uh, I mean, obviously qualifying for the Champions League is kind of like a, a trophy victory in itself, especially when the competition is so fierce. Ultimately, I think Chelsea will see that out in the league, but I see Liverpool winning it here. And I don't think Liverpool want to, to wait around. I think they will really do everything they can to kill it in uh, 90 minutes. And I'm going to go for a narrow Liverpool win by one goal. Uh, I'm I'm tempted to say 2-1. That's what I'm going with, Jonathan Johnson. I feel like our listeners and our viewers sometimes say, you and JJ agree too much. I don't do it on purpose. I, I, I just, you know, sometimes when two smart people say the same thing, it just happens, you know. Hey, let me ask you something before we move on. Thomas Tuchel, they won the Champions League last time around, but now this season, and look, it's not all against them. Of course, COVID took an issue. Of course, the sanctioning on Roman Abramovich was a massive, you know, uh, obstacle for him to deal with because, you know, he is just... The manager, he shouldn't have to also be the communications guy and everything. He had to deal with a lot this season. But if they don't win this, there's no trophies for them uh, in this time around. Do you see that as a major issue for Todd Bowley? Do you expect any extravagant decision making in the summer? What, What do you think if Chelsea don't win this? Right. How do you think Chelsea fans are assessing this season, taking in mind of everything that I just said that happened to them uh, in 2021, 2022? Yeah, like you like you said, you know, they they have to take it, uh, you know, special consideration as to everything that's, you know, unfolded as the the season has progressed. I think ultimately all things considered, it's not gone as badly as it could have gone because Chelsea could easily have gone off the rails as soon as that news about uh, Abramovich selling the club came up. You know, Tuchel kept them together for a long period of time, performing very impressively, uh, you know, sort of draining out all of that noise from outside so that the players didn't get distracted. And I think it's because of that uh, period in the season that they're still in the position where they are. They're playing in a domestic cup final. They're still in Champions League contention. Uh, you know, so ultimately, if they do finish the season, season qualified for the Champions League uh, again I think it'll be a success I mean you know you can't be winning the Champions League realistically at this at this point in time every season you know there's there's no kind of blueprint for that as we've seen in recent years unless you have a particularly strong vintage like Real Madrid uh, you know have which is kind of still paying dividends for them uh, you know it's very difficult to expect that sort of dominance at the absolute highest level so I think given the small amount of time Tuchel has had uh, in charge of Chelsea and you know, what he's been able to do in that amount of time overall and that's not just including this season it's including the the second half of last season when he took over as well he's done a, a very good job and you know we knew, I mean, especially us here in, in Paris, having seen what he managed to do with PSG over the years, we knew he was one of the top managers in Europe. And, you know, he's only gone and added to that uh, sentiment by by winning his first Champions League title, uh, you know, and, and doing what he's done with Chelsea. And I think the best approach for Chelsea uh, this summer, you know, once the, the takeover is all cut and dried and everything, is, is to take a, a sensible, measured approach, uh, you know, to, to potential transfer dealings. But they're going to have to be very pragmatic they're losing
losing a number of influential figures at the back, Christensen, Rudiger. Uh, you know, so I think it's really going to have to be a well thought out strategy. Uh, you know, and I think Thomas Tuchel has done enough uh, in his time in charge. Uh, you know, to 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 merit a strong say in what Chelsea do next, because if they're not going to allow him to influence that kind of thing, then really. You know, perhaps they'd be better off considering a, a management change. Uh, you know, the the new Chelsea regime. I I, I definitely think they should keep Tuchel on. Uh, you know, as we've seen with PSG, changing coach after Tuchel is a you know is a very difficult act to follow. Uh, but uh, you know, I think that he. I mean, he's somebody who likes to to be in control of uh, you know shaping how his team is going to look on the pitch. Uh, and I think that he deserves to to have that kind of say over Chelsea's transfer dealings in the future. Yeah, and so it will be interesting to see because a lot of that is dictated by how Todd Bowley operates. Because uh, I, you know, obviously we know his relationship in America with the Dodgers, etc. But he was—he's a minority owner there. He's taken a a bit of a larger role here in this situation. So we'll see how that happens. And obviously that victory for Chelsea against Leeds United, um, you know, pretty much puts them in a good position for a Champions League spot in the top, top four. Because if you win the FA Cup, it's a Europa League spot. It's not a Champions League spot, but. We will see what happens. I also have a Liverpool win. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about the Premier League. By the way, just to note, everybody, we are taping this before the North London Derby, a massive North London Derby. So by the time you watch this and listen to this, you know, we would already have a result from that game, which obviously directs a lot of what happens in the top four between Tottenham and Arsenal. But let's just discuss some fixtures, including, I guess, you know what, Jonathan Johnson, let's talk about the relegation battle. For a second, let's go there because Burnley have to play Tottenham and they are in 17th place as we keep, uh, speak. They have a game in hand over Leeds United, of course, and Leeds, who lost against Chelsea in horrible fashion, they have a minus 38 goal differential. I mean, Norwich City have minus 56. That's just like ridiculous. They're done. But Leeds United in 18th place, 34 points. Burnley have 34 points as well. Everton, who got a very precious point against Watford. So let's go with uh, the relegation battle. Tottenham play Burnley. Obviously, like we said, this is taping before the North London Derby. What do you expect there, despite of what happens in the North London Derby? And how does that relate to Leeds game as well, who play Brighton, by the way? That's not going to be easy. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's going to be really intriguing to see how the next couple of games play out in this relegation battle. I mean, I know that I'll get accused of being biased and trying to turn it around to, to talk about Villa. But I, I did say a couple of weeks ago, I think Villa will have quite a strong say in the, the battle to see who avoids relegation, given yep. that we play Burnley twice. We played them once already and beaten them. I think if Burnley can get points against us in that second match, which I mean, I was expecting to drop points against them in one of the two games. That could be enough uh, to keep them up and complete, uh, you know, what's been quite a miraculous recovery under under Jackson so far. I mean, for for Leeds, these are going to be really tricky remaining games for them. You know, Brighton and Brentford, both teams, you know, who you know still have uh, a decent chance of finishing the the season with a flourish in in, in fairly comfortable circumstances and Leeds I mean Leeds just look on their last legs this was always going to be the risk of taking over uh, a coach like Jesse Marsh taking over uh, a Bielsa team you know really sort of at the end of you know with nothing left to give basically you know they they'd already given uh, you know what they had and that's why Leeds were struggling and in such poor form and I mean if Burnley were to somehow come up with some points here 
I mean, it could, it could all be over really before, you know, Leeds even step onto the pitch against Brighton, because I think at this moment in time, you know, the, the, the players, the, the Leeds players, I mean, they almost seem in like self-destruct mode. You know, you see them picking up the red cards in the, in the recent games, not making their task any easier. And yeah, it's for, for me, I think if, if Burnley, you know, get beaten as you would expect them to against Tottenham, then obviously that makes the Villa game one of their games in hand, uh, you know, of added importance, which I think would be winnable for them in those circumstances. Uh, I wouldn't fancy them as much going up against Spurs, but Brighton and Brentford are just two fixtures you don't want to to have yeah, that's uh, at what the I end th- of the season. I think regardless of whatever happens with anybody else, I think the unfortunate truth for Leeds fans is that those two games, I, I just don't see them getting anything. And Brighton's current form should really worry Leeds United. Uh, you know, that they're doing very well. Of course, they've got a very good win, very solid win against Manchester United as well. And, you know, this is, uh, this is going to be tricky for Leeds. And I said it earlier, JJ, I just, the problem with uh, Leeds right now, and it's not all Jesse Marsh's fault. He came in, and a very difficult situation because they're used to this Marcelo Biela, Marcelo Bielsa do or die system. They kind of also lose that sort of uh, composure. You have to be composed in games and two straight red cards in the last two games are not good indicators that they're composed. And that is a worry when you're not just trying to do well, but stay in the Premier League. And when you face two sides, to your point, Brighton, very well organized. Brentford done very well in the rookie season in the Premier League. Doesn't matter what happens with even Everton, Burnley. I just don't see Leeds picking anything up. I have Leeds going down. Are you agreeing with me? It's hard to argue against it at this moment in time. And I think another thing that we overlook uh, sort of in the handover between Bielsa and, and Marsh is the unifying nature of uh, Bielsa for those Leeds fans. You know, they were really willing him to succeed right until the end. I mean, many accepted that it was it was time to, to finally roll the dice, but really sort of begrudgingly, sort of knowing that if Leeds go down this season, ultimately, that, you know, it would be a shame that, that, you know, they've dispensed with Bielsa's services because of everything that he did and achieved with the team, getting them back into the Premier League after such a long exile and then keeping them there. Uh, you know, and I think... Obviously, with Marsh, you know he's inherited a very, very tricky situation. It looked fairly positive at the at the start, and then that positivity has died away. I don't think it can all be, uh, you know, sort of lumped on uh, on his doorstep. But you know, this is the the situation that he chose to walk into, the challenge that that he decided to to accept. Uh, and he, I think, he needs to find some way to try and unify, uh, you know, the supporters and the players in the same way that Bielsa did, which is a very, very difficult task to do. Bielsa is a very, very special character, uh, you know, in football. There are so few guys like him. Some who try to be like him and 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 just you know fail, you know, fall flat on their face. And I think, really, at a club like Leeds, huge club with a, a really important vociferous fan base. You know, everybody has to be pulling in the same direction for for things to succeed, and that hasn't been the case, uh, you know, for the majority of the season, unfortunately. Yeah, their strength under Vielsa has unfortunately become their Achilles heel without him as well. So we'll see what happens there. We're going to take a break. Before we do that, I told you we weren't going to talk about Villa the whole time, but I just want to quickly <laughs> mention we're playing uh, Crystal Palace, Jonathan Johnson, Felipe Coutinho, reportedly per our Fabrizio Romano. It's done. It's all said. Agreements has done on contract and everything. 20 million euros, by the way. I just want to say that again. 20 million euros. There was a time when we were struggling to pay for Yakuba Silla <laughs> contract, Jonathan Johnson. How do you, what do you make of that? 
Yeah, obviously, uh, you know, uh, a million miles from uh, from those dark days. And in many ways, it's still very exciting, these kind of developments for Villa. I'll be honest. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying it's been a huge failure, uh, Coutinho's time with Villa so far. There's been good moments in it and there's been not so good moments in it. I kind of feel bittersweet about it at the moment because a lot of, you know, get putting faith in, in Coutinho is, is kind of counting against Buendia until Gerard really finds a way to combine the two in the same team at the same time, which I kind of feel is a little unfair given the way that Buendia has performed recently, made a huge difference when he was brought on against Liverpool, looked superb against Burnley. I, I just feel that we're a bit more functional, uh, you know, with him in the team. But also at the same time, you can't deny somebody of Coutinho's quality when he turns it on. He is a class above, you know, probably one of the most gifted technical players that we've had in a long, long time, certainly since we've returned to the Premier League. Uh, and it's not all about what Coutinho brings on the pitch as well. It's, you know, whether Gerard is able to buy into, uh, you know, what he's trying to achieve with Villa more, if he's able to bring in the guys that he really trusts and has faith in. Maybe he sees a way that with a full preseason uh, under his belt, he can get a tune out of Coutinho on a more regular basis, uh, but also the fact that with Coutinho at Villa, it's undeniable. Villa are more attractive to other players, uh, you know, who we will need to bring in uh, in the, the rebuild this summer if we're going to push for Europe next season. Yeah, well said, my friend. I'm just going to end it with this. And, I, you know, I've bored everybody on Twitter about it, but I'm just going <laughs> to yeah, say you haven't, you haven't bored me. <laughs> well, at least there's one. But, uh, you know, there's here's the thing. Coutinho, by the way, he's fourth in most goal contributions right now in the league, and he only joined in, in January for the team. To your point, to your very excellent point, what he does is when he arrives, for 20 million, by the way, now, right, is in order to be a Europe contending team, we need to double up in talent in every position. It has to be. You can't just rely on one person. I am with you 100%. Whenever Emiliano Wendia enters the pitch, we're just so good. From a creative perspective, he's aggressive. He showed what he did, obviously, against Burnley. We know how good he is. But I'm hoping that what's happening is Steven Gerrard saying, look, to both Coutinho and Buendia, I have to rotate you for a little bit in this last uh, months of the season because I need to wait for a full preseason for my full preseason and my squad to see how I can put both of you in the team. And obviously, there's another headache because Danny Ings and Ollie Watkins, what do you do there as well, right? So there are issues, but... To your point, when you bring in somebody like Felipe Coutinho for 20 million, that's basically saying, look, we are building something special here. And it's not like the Jack Grealish moments where we like really just relied on him for large parts of the of the game. We are now building something. If we can add a few more pieces in the summer, I'm feeling very optimistic. But make one thing very clear. It doesn't mean that Wendia is completely negated here. It just means that we're building a squad. I do feel for him. But I think that in the better run, doubling up in position is going to mean that we are fighting for Europe, not anymore just for 15th, 14th, et cetera, et cetera. Any final thing to add before we take a break, JJ? Yeah, I mean, I, I I completely agree with you. And, you know, I think that in itself is quite exciting for Villa fans because this season has been up and down. Obviously, the disappointments at the mm. end of Dino's time in charge, uh, the excitement of Gerard, uh, you know, coming in and suddenly the form returning a bit and then this kind of, uh, roller coaster, you know, remainder of the season where we've looked very good at times. We've gone toe to toe with some with some very impressive teams, uh, and then we've also looked terrible uh, and suffered some really disappointing yeah. results. Uh, and I think, really, for me, the the, the area that needs addressing uh, perhaps the most this summer 
is that central midfield being able to have somebody who can play in that holding role aside from Nakamba, who's missed a large chunk of the season through injury. Uh, you know, I think bringing in someone there would, would add a massive amount of balance to the team, but also we have an abundance of wide options who at this point in time, uh, you know, I don't think that there is room for all of them uh, no, at the club no and in the squad. So I think yeah. realistically, some difficult decisions have to be made, um, you know, and hopefully Gerard makes the makes the right ones. But I think that there are some players who are perhaps more deserving of, of being kept on and, and accommodated uh, within the group than uh, than others. Yeah, especially when our academy players are flourishing as well. A lot to think about there. All right, we promised you that was it. And if you didn't care about it, you could have just fast-forwarded in the show. So, you know, don't blame it on us. We're going to take a break, everybody. When we come back, Serie A, Scudetto race, AC Milan getting closer and closer. But Inter Milan feeling confident, perhaps, after Simone Inzaghi won Coppa Italia for them, as well as some La Liga discussions, Bundesliga. JJ will let us know what to watch out for in France uh, in Ligue 1. Final thoughts, and that should be it. Kigo Lasso, Weekend Preview, Jonathan Johnson, LME, we'll be right back. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back, everybody. Que golazo weekend preview. LME, Jonathan Johnson, John underscore Legossip. All right, JJ, let's talk about Serie A for a second. AC Milan facing Atalanta and Inter Milan traveling to Cagliari. And by the way, you know, from Cagliari to the rest of the relegation battle, we also have Empoli against Salernitana, Udinese, Spezia, Napoli, Genoa, Serie A. We've uh, thought that AC Milan are getting closer, and I feel like Inter Milan should be happy because they have a trophy. That's, you know, very good for Simone Inzaginta. How do you see the Serie A race as AC Milan face an Atalanta side who are not as strong as they were at the beginning of the season? No, they're not. Uh, you know, and I think this is a huge opportunity for, for Milan. Basically, you know, they know... 
you know, finish the season with a with a couple of wins uh, and the title is theirs. I mean, even I, mean, I think we discussed this with uh, Dre Cordero the other day. Basically, four four points is probably going to be enough for for Milan. There's no doubt about it. They have the tougher fixtures. Yeah, Atalanta perhaps not the side that they have been in recent years, but still formidable on their day when they want to turn it on. And Sassuolo are just one of those bizarre teams, and you have a few of them in Serie A where they're almost better against the bigger teams than they are uh, against some of the lesser lights. So for me, I expect that the Inter will take almost maximum points, uh, you know, from uh, from their remaining games. I mean, you can't really wish for much easier games with with all due respect to Cagliari and, and Sampdoria than, than two teams, you know, who have been mired at the bottom of the table for pretty much the entirety of the season. So for me, I think that Inter will, will keep the pressure on right until the end. But I think Milan will, will have enough to, to see it off. And also, you know, if there is some, you know, decompression for, from Inter or a bit of complacency since they picked up the silverware in midweek, uh, you know, I I think that the Milan, uh, you know, will be worthy winners ultimately. Uh, you know, I think that really, it's theirs to lose now. But uh, I don't really. I I I think four points. I agree with Dre. I think four points will be a, enough for, for Milan. Yeah, and Atalanta in eighth, obviously, same points as Fiorentina. And Roma, by the way, as well. But Fiorentina really doing this last push at the end. Uh, but do you think, uh, by the way, just very quickly, as uh, Gagliari face Inter Milan, how should Inter fans feel right now? They they won Coppa Italia. I, I, I actually think that's really commendable and remarkable because, you know, Matteo Bonetti said it a few days ago on CBS Sports. I agree. Inter, you know, Simone Inzaghi arrived at an Inter site, you know, where they didn't know what to do. Antonio Conte left, like Lukaku left. You know, there was a little bit of a confusion from an identity perspective, even though they were in entering this season as defending champions. How, how should Inter fans assess this season, especially if they don't win Scudetto? I mean, I think they they should be grateful to to Inzaghi for you know making them into into title contenders this season because you know walking into that situation post Antonio Conte with no Romelu Lukaku as well that was a very very uh, you know tough task for him uh, you know he set about it in the right way I think Inter retooled well uh, you know considering all the the issues that they were going through financially uh, you know and they've actually managed to turn what was a fairly negative last summer. Uh, after claiming the the title, uh, you know, into quite a positive season. Because let's not forget, they also gave a better account of themselves in Europe than they have done in recent years. Yeah. Uh, and I think that this is, you know, perhaps the 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 beginning of a of a new era. Uh, you know, for for Inter, one that's maybe, uh, you know, a bit more realistic uh, in in terms of their ability to to go out and spend on talent and construct really winning teams. But uh, you know, I I think that they will be able to replicate this season's title push uh, perhaps go one better with a couple of uh, you know smart additions and, and changes to the squad whereas I don't think there was that sense of positivity surrounding Inter last season when you saw all these star names disappearing uh, you know journeyman as proven a goal scorer as Edin Dzeko is uh, you know coming in questions over Martinez's uh, future he's still there scoring goals perhaps the most consistent we've seen from him in uh, in Serie A 
so, you know, I think that there are reasons to be positive. You know, I don't think realistically Inter fans could have expected to defend the title given the changes made last summer. So I'd say that this has been a satisfactory uh, end to the season. I'd be more disappointed as a Juventus fan, for example, not having claimed the, the silverware midweek. I think they're more in need, uh, you know, of some serious work this summer than uh, Inter are at present. Can Salernitana do this, Jonathan Johnson? You know what? I really hope they can. Uh, I mean, to see the way that they've turned things around. I mean, just this last, you know, five, four or five months has been incredible. The fact that we were debating or, you know, reports were telling us that Salernitana were going to go bust. There, were, there was going to be one less team in Serie A, uh, you know, around, around the turn of the year. You know, for them to go from that to filling their squad uh, full of new talent in the, the January transfer window and now suddenly you know, having the semblance of a team pulling away from the, the relegation fight uh, at just the right moment. It, it's incredible. It's, it, you know, I don't think that there's a story like it really uh, in any of the major European leagues uh, this season. You know, there's a lot of uh, unexpectedly big teams going down in some of the other leagues. So to see Salernitana, uh, you know, pulling off this escaped act is, uh, you know, it, it's quite refreshing, uh, you know, and I do hope that they they managed to pull it off because it was so improbable. Uh, you know, if you'd suggested this a couple of months ago, uh, that Salernitana would be in this position. I mean, also you look at the fixture that they got left, Empoli, another one of those teams that seems to save their best form for when they play the tougher teams and they, you know, would normally get beaten against the teams you'd expect them to get points against. And an Udinese side with with not much left to play for. Yeah, they can turn up on their day and get points against a team, but, you know, they are, you know, quite a solidly mid-table outfit and I don't expect them to move up anywhere really close enough to to get into the the, the top 10 of the table between now and the end of the season. So, you know, I think it's been a, a massive achievement uh, for Salernitana and I'm keen to see what the future holds for them, uh, you know, assuming they do manage to, to confirm their Serie A status for next season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, a very quick note before we move to La Liga. Congratulations to Ajax, Eric Ten Hag, before heading to Manchester United. They win the Dutch League, by the way, they wrapped up the league with a thumping victory over Herenven at the Johan Cruyff Arena. So that's good for Ten Hag. A little bit of Manchester United and what hopefully they can hope for as well. And Celtic, by the way, reclaiming the Scottish Premiership. And get Postukoglu, by the way, such a good manager, you know, did wonders with him. Any notes on those two sides there, JJ? Fantastic start from both uh, those two teams. Yeah, I mean, I, I think as well, uh, you know, when you're looking at uh, at Scottish football at this moment in time, you know, the fact that Rangers are in a European final, uh, mm. you know, is really, really positive for, for the domestic game. The way that Postecoglou has managed to turn Celtic around when he inherited quite a messy situation. You know, we're, we're suddenly now looking at a situation where you might actually have two fairly strong Scottish teams competing in Europe at some point in the future, yeah. which would be huge for the domestic game. And as as for as for Ajax, you know, I think it's it's good to see Ten Hag signing off on a positive note. It could have quite easily turned sour after it emerged that he was taking the United job and it looked like Ajax were going to have, uh, you know, that blip and maybe get pipped to the title at the last minute. The fact that they haven't, uh, you know, I think is 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 good. They're used to, you know, having a lot of their talents, you know, sort of come and go. So, you know, 
a lot of players leaving this summer is, you know, it's it's not something that they've never had to deal with before. Obviously, it'll be the first uh, summer uh, where they're not uh, having their transfer dealings overseen by by Mark Overmars. Sounds like they've already got their replacement for Ten Hag lined up in Alfred Schroeder, uh, you know, who looks like he might be on the verge of a, of a title with Club Brugge in Belgium, despite the fact that uh, Union had spent so long at the top of the table uh, before the before the title uh, playoff split came in so you know i think for for ajax this is a state of normality for them rebuilding it already sounds like they're putting out the feelers for the potential talents they want to bring in uh this summer and it wouldn't surprise me to see them retool uh you know and come back and and be a presence in uh in europe once again whether or not they're going to be able to maintain the sort of excitement levels that they've given us in the Champions League in the last season or so. We'll have to wait and see, but I definitely think that there is the makings in this Ajax squad uh, or pool of talent that they've currently got coming through to, to really go far in, say, Europa League, for example. Yeah, just, uh, you know, for context, Daisy Alkmaar, who are in fifth, right? Um, you know, they, you know, a good team in Eredivisie, of course, they have a a 22 goal differential. Ajax have a 79 goal differential. <laughs> Make that of what you will. All right, let's move to Spain. La well, Liga. You, know, you know what? You know what? It's better to have a plus 79 goal differential than a minus 79 goal differential, 100, like somebody like Bordeaux. <laughs> uh, 100%, which I'm sure we'll get to later on in the episode before we close up. All right, let's move to Spain for a second. It's pretty much all set uh, from the midweek, by the way, as Atletico Madrid got a good victory against Elche and they secured a top four finish in La Liga and uh, Champions League qualification for the 10th straight season. And Sevilla couldn't get anything out of Mallorca, only a point as well, by the way. So now Atleti against Sevilla. Atleti are set for Champions League and a top four spot. Sevilla, who are just fighting this, I believe they just need one more point over Real Betis, Jonathan Johnson. How do you see this happening? Is it enough? How how would you assess, I guess, Sevilla and Real Betis? I really wanted uh, Real Betis in this top four. I'm not saying it's over, but, you know, hopefully something can happen. But, you know, Sevilla, they do drop points and Atleti takes advantage and now they face each other. Atleti-Sevilla with a, a Real Betis looming because they also got a good win midweek as well. Yeah, unfortunately, from a Betis point of view, I probably wouldn't rely too much on uh, Atleti to to sort of keep them in the race against Sevilla. I I expect Sevilla to be to be able to go on and do this now. Obviously, five five points, you know, with uh, with six left to play for is is pretty insurmountable for for Betis. And yeah, it's it's sad on the one hand, but also at the same time. You know, I think Betis can be proud of the progress they've made. The fact that they're still in with a shout at this yeah. point in the season uh, is already, uh, you know, a fantastic achievement from Manuel Pellegrini. And they won Copa del Rey. Exactly. And that's without even talking about the silverware that they've already racked, racked up. Right. So, right. you know, I think Betis can be proud uh, of the season that they've had, but also the progress they've made in the last couple of years. Given that they've already signed a lot of these talented players to contract extensions, I expect a summer of really smart business targeting certain areas of the team uh, and the pitch to, to to strengthen in for next season. And I think they could still, uh, you know, give it a go. We expect the, the usual suspects to be a lot stronger uh, next season. But, you know, I think that Betis, uh, you know, will try to do everything they can to, to break into that top four. I don't think they'll give up on it until the absolute very last minute possible. So it wouldn't surprise me to see it go down to the last day. But coming up against a Real Madrid side, 
although they will be preparing or sort of mentally preparing in their minds for uh, for the Champions League final, I'm just not I'm not sure I can see Betis getting six points in these two remaining games. And you know, I I I can't see Sevilla getting less than one. Yeah, so we will see. I think it should probably stay as is. Uh, that's all for. But still, to your point, Real Betis winning Copa del Rey, absolutely remarkable stuff from Pellegrini's side. Let's move to Germany, the race for fourth, by the way. Erlen Haaland's goodbye, obviously, as Borussia Dortmund host Ber- uh, Hertha Berlin, by the way. So there's that to look out for. But really, the conversation, obviously, is with Leipzig facing Armenia and uh, Freiburg facing Leverkusen because Freiburg is hoping that Leipzig do a little bit of a hiccup here and they get Champions League. Leipzig in the final Champions League spot at the moment. I don't see it happening, Jonathan Johnson. I think uh, Leipzig should be okay, but you never know. How, how, do, how do you make that one? Yeah, I mean, it's a really difficult one to, to to judge. I mean, you're looking at that situation, you know, teams still fighting for their lives at the, the foot of the table. I mean, for Armenia, it's a, a question of whether they might be able to, to sneak that, uh, that that relegation playoff spot. Yeah, that's it's, right. I mean, it's, it's, it's a tougher ask, I think, for, for Freiburg than for, than for Leipzig, given they're going up against uh, Leverkusen, but also the fact that, you know, Leverkusen are guaranteed to finish in that top four now. I guess is a is a glimmer of hope for them, but uh, you know, for Leipzig, I mean, I think that the big opportunity missed by them really uh, is in the Europa League because I was speaking earlier about how great it is seeing Rangers uh, get back to a European final, which it is, but that is a massive miss for for RB Leipzig. Uh, you know, it was you know arguably their clearest route into the Champions League, which would also give them their first piece of uh, major silverware, which is something that's you know regularly held up against their project. Uh, and I think, you know, if if suddenly they're there to drop out of Champions League contention at the last minute, this will feel like a really uh, anticlimactic end to the season, which, you know, had promised, uh, you know, to be brighter than than first expected, uh, you know, when Tedesco came in, because obviously, like Marsh inheriting a complicated situation, Tedesco was picking up the pieces after Marsh's, uh, you know, failed transition to the Leipzig role. Uh, and I think that this one, I think they they will feel really sore uh, if they miss out on the Champions League, especially given how close they were in the Europa League. Yeah, and final point, by the way, Stuttgart, who are in 16th in the current playoff uh, relegation playoff spot, if they get a win against Köln and Hertha Berlin lose to Borussia Dortmund, uh, which is Erling Haaland's farewell match, you know, that means Stuttgart jumps out of there, of that playoff spot and Hertha Berlin right there in it. So, you know, relegation stuff in the Bundesliga is also in intriguing all right it's a league on time jonathan johnson what's the latest in france what can you tell me about league A this weekend what should we we watching out for yeah well i'm i'm gonna keep us sort of on this relegation uh theme because uh, you know there's been some really interesting developments uh, at the bottom of the table bordeaux were relegated to league 2 for 60 minutes midweek uh when uh nice were trailing to saint etienne who were battling themselves to avoid the drop uh, and then suddenly Nice came back, turned it on 1-4-2. Obviously, that gives them a boost in terms of their Champions League hopes uh, and finishing as high as possible in the race for Europe. But I've written a piece on this, which should be coming out later today, uh, you know, for people to read over the weekend. 
the fall from grace that Bordeaux have suffered from in the last 10 years or so. Let's not forget that this was a team that won the French title last back in 2009. They were Champions League quarter finalists against Lyon in 2010. They won a Coupe de France in 2014. For them to be dropping out of the league in the state that they're in, financial disarray. Yeah, it is. It is crazy. They are a a massive historic uh, institution in French football. Uh, And I fear for them because... You know, there's no guarantee uh, that their financial situation will see them simply relegated to League 2. It could get very messy this summer. We already saw them come to the brink of administration last summer, uh, you know, and they were very lucky to get an administrative reprieve because they were relegated administratively to to League 2. And, you know, it, it kind of feels like this situation could get worse before it gets better for one of France and one of Europe's uh, most historic teams. So I think that... You know, say a prayer for for Bordeaux this weekend that uh, it doesn't get uh, too ugly because it really, you know, that that would be a really shocking situation to to witness, and unfortunately, it seems uh, very likely to happen. An absolute shame. Twentieth in the table, uh, twenty seven points, minus forty one differential. They've lost nineteen matches. I mean, look, look at look at the goals against though. Yeah, forty one. Oh, against eighty nine. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh my god dude well like, what's the point of having a keeper at that point my exactly. goodness unbelievable all right well listen that is the end of our weekend preview it was uh shorter than usual but that's because uh you have uh villa faithfuls jonathan johnson and lme of course over here but plenty more to discuss as well uh we have the weekend recap coming up but final thoughts before we say goodbye, I'll begin, Jonathan Johnson, and you can finish up. The only thing is the two things. We you know, didn't mention much of uh, Man City against West Ham. That's going to be a, a big game to watch out for, of course, as Man City, I think, only need really four points. And really, that goal differential, it's a theme today with the goal differential. They have a good advantage over Liverpool on that one. But the other thing was the championship playoffs, as uh, we know very well. They begin on Friday, Luton Town. Luton Town, by the way whose budget, whose squad size value is like, I don't know, what Jack Grealish uh, gets on a, on a Saturday night for dinner. It's, re- it's like 1.5 million. And they're playing Huddersfield, and that begins, that's the first leg. And then Sheffield United against Nottingham Forest on Saturday. And then the second leggers are next week, Monday and Tuesday. So that's my final thoughts. The championship should be exciting. What about you, Jonathan Johnson? Any final thoughts before we say goodbye? Yeah, well, I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, I think we mentioned it a couple of weeks ago going into that Forest-Bournemouth game. And I just feel now that we know the teams who are who are set, it's, I mean, it's, it's a shame in a way that you've got Sheffield United and Forest playing each other, two yeah. historic that would names be a good for us. Yeah, two historic names for someone like me who grew up, uh, you know, in the in the early years of the Premier League. But like you said, you know, you can't, uh, you know, discredit the, the the hard work that Luton have done. Sort of the the. I wouldn't say rebirth, but the way that Huddersfield have rebuilt themselves after their brief flirtation with the Premier League. Uh, And I, you know, the playoffs are always exciting. Uh, You know, they always deliver. It's why it's considered to be, you know, the the richest match in the world, because ultimately that playoff final, you know, decides who gets a Premier League place and who doesn't. Uh, You know, but I just, I really have my fingers crossed for a club like Forest because, We've seen Sheffield United in the Premier League in recent years. Uh, you know, they were arguably unlucky with the way that they dropped out. But, you know, to see Forrest get back there after such a long journey away, it would be sort of as significant as somebody like Leeds uh, getting back up to the elite, I think. 
Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, European Cup champions, by the way. So it would be great to see Nottingham Forest. Yeah, they're, they're, they're in the club, baby, like That's, Villa. They are in the club, my friend. <laughs> there, And then Keenan Davis might be back uh, to be fit, at least for that second leg. I'm not sure. We're going to double check. But that is it, everybody. The only, Actually, the only other thing, by the way, is Chelsea and Man City uh, women's FA Cup finals on Sunday, and they've already sold 50,000 tickets, and I'm sure that's climbing as well. That's fantastic news, by the way, for the women's game, especially in England. So I just wanted to tip my hat as because we began the episode with the men's FA Cup finals, mentioning as well that Chelsea have another FA Cup final as well as they play Man City and 50,000 for Wembley. That's that's pretty that's pretty cool. Is it Wembley? I just got to double check. I think it is Wembley, but. Yes, it is Wembley. 50,000. Amazing stuff. So don't forget to follow, obviously, our women's uh, soccer podcast, Attacking Third, as well for more on that. But Jonathan Johnson, thank you so much, buddy. I hope you have a great weekend. Thank you, and always a pleasure to have you here, bud. No, likewise. Pleasure being on, and uh, enjoy the games this weekend. Absolutely. Thank you so much, everybody. Kego Lasso Pod on Twitter, youtube.com forward slash Kego Lasso. As I told you, we got plenty of content coming your way, including, of course, by the way, our weekend recap, which will be on Sunday, and then much more to come next week. And then we'll just be getting ready for all those European finals, Conference League, Europa League, and, of course, the Champions League to wrap everything up before domestic, after domestic club competition finishes. Have a great weekend, and we will see you next time. Till then. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.